Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to Be The Change, a podcast of conversations with true visionaries who are creating new paradigms for a healthier planet and society. I am your host, Christine Demick, and my work is in finding real solutions to the biggest problems we face today, climate crisis, capitalism, social injustices, and our failing health. There are amazing humans out there that have answers, and it is my mission to have their voices heard. Together, we can raise consciousness and create a just and equal society. Together, we can be the change. You may know about glyphosate in our food, but did you know it is sprayed in all of our public parks and public spaces? Nor did I until I met our next guest. Non-toxic neighborhood founder Kim Conte and New York chapter head Stephanie Sarkis share with us today how we are exposed to this known carcinogen, how we can stop this senseless spraying in our own town and protect ourselves, our children, our pets, and our community. Join us and learn how you can be the change. Welcome, Kim and Stephanie, and thank you for being with me today. Thank you for having us. So when Stephanie and I first met, it was at a lecture I was giving on toxins in our food, and little did I know it was in our parks. And Kim, you started non-toxic neighborhoods. Can you guys kind of give me a background? Like, how did you find out about this, and what's going on? Sure. Stephanie, I think you should answer that, and then I can give some background on Kim. Sure. So I met Kim um, after a panel. She was on a panel with Gary Hirschberg from Stonyfield, um, as well as Dr. Phil Landrigan, and they were discussing children and environmental toxins. And I attended the panel and I learned so much. One of the things that I learned was, you know, how glyphosate is sprayed all over New York City. And so this was pulled up from a usage report, which is something where the state, the city has to show all of the products that they use and spray throughout the city. And so after the the panel, I I walked up to Kim and I said, I can't believe that this is happening here in New York City. You've got to tell me more. How can I help? What can we do? And so we kept in touch and she introduced me to non-toxic neighborhoods and we started a petition in New York City um, and followed up with uh, council members and assembly members. and, And then I met you, Christine. And that was only a couple of months after, and I was still mind boggled by everything that was, everything that I was learning. Well, I think that was it. I mean, you know, so all three of us are moms and it's bad enough that it's in our food. But when you had told me, Stephanie, that it was like, it's in our parts, like we're just exposed to it. We're literally giving up our health unknowingly. And I just... I don't know. I'm thankful for moms and I'm thankful for Kim. Kim, I'm thankful for you. How, how did this come your way and, and why did you start non-toxic neighborhoods? Um, it was never part of the plan. We just, we were lucky enough to live in Bermuda where they banned it as a country due to its negative health impacts. And when we decided to move to California, we were really shocked to find out that my son's elementary school was actually using Roundup on the turf to show the children where to run in the circle for the running club. And, you know, that was my aha moment. I just, you know, I really thought California was more progressive than that. And 
it wasn't okay. The more research I did on glyphosate and the negative health impacts, and it's shocking that a pesticide that's listed in the state of California is being utilized for cosmetic reasons in our parks where our children and our pets are playing. There's no protection. So why is it still here? Can you tell everyone about the harms of glyphosate and why we should be concerned, whether you have kids or not? Right, right. So I think the the most concerning piece is that we're seeing, based on the pesticide use reports and the news and these civil suits, that glyphosate is utilized in our parks, in our watersheds, in sensitive habitats. And the reason for this is because the pesticide industry is so powerful and it's marketed to everyone as safe until enough people get sick. That tends to be like they're right out of their playbook with other products that they've brought to market, you know, DDT, Agent Orange, even synthetic turf. So with glyphosate, we aligned with our advisors who share very conservative research because we're not blaming glyphosate for every wrongdoing on the planet because unfortunately there's enough proving that this control should have never been utilized for cosmetic purposes where our kids are playing. You know, we have a, a study that shows it can have a 22-year half-life in our soil. What is that doing to our children? All of these kind of marketing talking points that the pesticide industry feeds us are proving to be very far from the truth and, and really how they're impacting us and our watersheds and our natural systems. One thing that I think is in our favor is that we now have a way to align what's being utilized in a park and what's showing up in the children that are playing in that park. You know, this is something that the pesticide industry took advantage of. There's no smoking gun once the application's done, but we pulled the pesticide use report from the city of Orange and this little four-year-old girl had the same two active ingredients in her system. She was at the 95th percentile of glyphosate in her system and she was literally off the charts in 2,4-D in her system. And this is, this is unacceptable. No, it's completely unacceptable. And most of us aren't going to have a test like that, let alone know to ask for it. And I, I think you just brought up a really important point, which is that we don't have this data. It's, it's over a period of time. And yet we see in our children the rise in autoimmune disorders. We see cancers. We see issues with our stomachs and what we're eating, even autism where they're looking now at glyphosate. You know, everyone's pointing to vaccines, but look, it could be linked to the pesticides in our food. And it gets leaked into, it's not even when they spray it on there. Like, I I think there's a great quote on your website that says, the pesticides don't magically become safe once they're applied to your lawn. It goes into our waters, it goes into our air, it goes onto our skin, right? Exactly. And the Department of Pesticide Regulation even states on their website that pesticides stay volatile for up to 48 hours. You know, they don't magically respect boundaries. And it's shocking that we even have to have this podcast, <laughs> you know, like that, that we have to allocate this time. But as mothers also, we have to step in and work to fix this because our regulatory system is failing to do so. So thank you for for having this and being able to work with Stephanie and 
and you and meeting with the assembly members to the New York City Parks Department, thankfully there's been a beautiful shift. And Stephanie, do you want to share what Rosenthal has been championing? Yeah, so assembly member um, Linda Rosenthal, she's got a new bill that was introduced uh, into the New York State Legislature, and they've uh, passed the bill. It's it's uh, A.732. Dash B, if anyone wants to look it up. And at this point, it's passed the New York State Senate and also the Assembly, but it hasn't yet been sent to Governor Cuomo's office just yet for review. He technically has until the end of the year to sign bills that have passed this session. So it's possible that it won't be sent to him for review for a couple of months, but I think we need to all vocalize that this is something we want passed. And if you don't remember what the bill is called, you can you know always Google it. That's a great tool for everyone. But putting it, either reaching out to him, his office, through Instagram, calling him, emailing him, whatever it is. And I think it's really important to vocalize and put some pressure on it before the end of the year. So I think, you know, don't quote me, but I think in the bill, it, it, this is going to ban glyphosate for us in the state of New York, which is great, on public state property. But I think people can still use it in their in their homes or on their own land. And there's probably some exceptions, you know, it's never perfect. And I guess I want to remind people because there are, you know, you're not going to believe this, you guys, but I, I have friends. I mean, I have friends. Well, you believe I have friends, but I have friends out in the Hamptons and who also who have lawns and stuff and they, they use it. You know, they know me. I have these conversations with them and they say, well, you know, the EPA protects us. But that isn't the case, right? Right. I mean, that couldn't be further than, you know, the truth, sadly. But I think we're trusting. We trust that if pesticide has an EPA registration number, then clearly it earned that registration number and got the right to go to market because it's been proven safe to use as an herbicide. And with these glyphosate bans, I think... They're positive from the standpoint that it creates the awareness around the fact that it's a flawed system and that there's a a reason that these pesticides have to be pulled out of the market by our own elected officials because the EPA is failing to live up to their name. They're um, more of an ecocide protection agency these days, you know, unfortunately, but a glyphosate only ban, for example, Miami Beach, they ban glyphosate, you know, and then residents are excited. The fishing captains we work with, captains, I even think I've had on captains for clean water, everybody is excited, but they just went straight from glyphosate to diquat. So that in no way is equating to increasing public health and safety. So it, it can't just be a ban on an active ingredient. It has to be a holistic shift to how we're controlling pests in the landscape. Right. And this brings me to think back to Arlene Blum, who she was worked in the 70s on uh, flame retardants. And at the time, uh, Nixon was president and it was before the EPA was created. Actually, President Nixon created the EPA, which is a, another interesting story. 
because of cigarette smokers and people were smoking in bed. And he said to the cigarette manufacturers, you need to create something to make your cigarettes safer. But what the chemical companies do is they, they said, you know, we're not going to make our cigarettes safer. We're going to create a chemical. We're going to spray it on everything. And then we'll keep the cigarettes as they are, right? Because probably people would be dropping dead quicker, you know, if they were inhaling these safer cigarettes. And it was in all our mattresses. Well, well, Arlene Blum found out about this and she is a scientist and was going through everything and found that it caused cancer and all sorts of things. Banned it. Nixon banned it. President Nixon banned it. And then the chemical companies created something else, which is like you're saying about glyphosate. And it just feels like it's so out of control. I wonder, what do we do to get this done? To your point, I think it's critical that we're at a crisis moment. We're in this pandemic where this pandemic is going to be the first of many unless we make drastic shifts. And we need our regulatory system to start really stop this current status of the fox guarding the hen house because it just places this into this chemical whack-a-mole. To your point, just like BPA, we got rid of BPA and it's just They go back to research and development, come out with something very similar. So it should be done holistically based on protecting children and the environment from more of a precautionary principle standpoint. Agree. Agree. And there's a Chinese proverb that it's no coffin, no tears comes to mind. And I think that I just don't want it to come to that, that people, you know, when they finally see the coffin, then they wake up. And we just don't want to do that. We really have got to fight for this change, run for office. I know I'm pretty sure everyone in this conversation has been asked to run for office. Maybe one of us will consider it, but we need strong people with strong voices who are going to go out there and fight the fight. There is some good news. So tell me about how you are winning this fight and all of your success stories, or at least one of them. Give us some good news of how you have successfully banned glyphosate. So to date, we've now worked with over 100 municipalities, counties, school districts to end the use of glyphosate. But again, our ultimate goal is for them to adopt an organic and regenerative land management policy, which again is just shifting how you control pests in the landscape. And instead of looking at weeds as the enemy, it really should just be an indicator of of your soil health and building soil health. And it magically gets rid of a majority of the pest pressure. And the pesticide industry does have a brilliant business model where it has created these synthetic non-selective pesticides like glyphosate that kill the weeds, but it's not a permanent fix. So it it kills the weeds, but it also creates the perfect breeding ground for future weed pressure. Then you have the soil that then becomes a place that is not beneficial for turf to grow. So then you're locked into a synthetic fertilizer input system, you know, with these weed and feeds and, and all of these products. And I think people just assume that if they're sold at Target and, you know, everywhere else, you're buying school supplies, you see a end cap of Roundup there that you think that it is safe to utilize in your garden around your kids. And it's not. No, it really isn't. And I would love to get back to our soil health. I have had um, Aria McLaughlin on who has 
she lobbies for regenerative agriculture and has worked with Farmers Footprint, which I know you have uh, worked with as well, and focusing on on soil regeneration and what that means. I don't think people understand like these these chemicals that we're keep dumping in the glyphosate, also you know the 4D, right? Just mm-hmm. another common uh, pesticide that's in in common stuff that you buy at, at Target, and it eventually just erodes the soil. So, like you said, like the was it weed and feed? Is that what you called it? Oh, it's the worst. You know, it's the granular application that yeah. that, well, that that you probably have seen the applications for with the you know you push this little appliance across your lawn and it yeah. spreads the weed and feed. So it's synthetic fertilizer and herbicide. So it's a two for one, but you know, with soil health, the solution is beneath our feet. And I think we'll share information about this, but kiss the grounds new movie on this. Woody Harrelson was amazing and narrated it, but I mean, the solution is there, but we're kind of stuck in this position for our farmers that are dependent on the funding they receive from a farm bill that is so pro pesticide because Mm -hmm. industry is so powerful, you know, Mm -hmm. so they're in there writing this 800 page farm bill that locks these farmers into this. So the focus is really kind of connecting with your farmer and understanding their story and finding ways to avoid. Um, My friend just posted this picture of peaches in a fruit cup, plastic. There's so many things wrong with this, but the peaches were grown in Argentina (laughs) And then it, they were shipped to another country and then she's purchasing it in Irvine, California. So it's when peaches right now are in season, we right. can just go to our CSA and get those peaches. So I think all of this is so heavy, the pandemic, just everything our families are dealing with, all of these moments that are lost. But for us to be able to get our kids in a place where they won't have their lives put on you know, be forced to be put on pause because of a pandemic like this is we have to heal the soil. You know, we have to look at our food system. We have to ask questions about how our parks are being maintained. And we just simply need to do what all of these other cities we help support have done, where they just share why it's important to them, share the sound and vetted research as to the dangers, and then give them all of the solutions. It's just, it's beneficial to everybody. And none of the cities have gone back. So it is proof that moving in this fashion is very successful and it and it works for everyone. And it's not just great for the farmers, but it's great for our health too, because from our diet over years, and again, I've researched this, but it's not really out there for the public, but the nutrition density in our vegetables and our fruits, everything that's grown in the land is lower than it ever was. And this is because of all the fertilizer that we constantly put in and we and then the soil gets depleted and then eventually it's dead and you can't do anything with it. I come from four generations of farmers. I know a little bit about this and the struggle that comes with it. But once it was, you know, my grandfather had a very diverse farm. We had burrows, we had lot, you know, they had all sorts of things going on. There was corn, there was Christmas trees, everything. And then it didn't become affordable. And then everything got industrialized, right? And so it was like this churn and burn. But our health is suffering from it for your kids. You need healthy soil to have healthy food. This is part of our health problems. And to making that connection, I guess, for people to understand the importance of it. But I also do 
I do fall under the idea that this is not something that the average person should have to worry about. They really shouldn't. This is what our government should be taking care of. And this is what happens when corporations run amok. Right, right. right. The, the connection between going to the store and purchasing your food, it's, you're so disconnected from where it's coming from, what's in season. The fact that apples are, you know, they're available year round is pretty telling. But we're currently launching a program called Adopt the Farmer because there's, I think, COVID-19 has really shined a spotlight on the disconnect between the food that we're purchasing in the grocery store and where it truly came from. And everyone's idea of the farmer is not in reality what it is. It's these factory farms that take advantage of these folks who don't have citizenship, but they are exploited and they're given essential worker status without any PPE. So we're working with this group in Salinas Valley where these folks are afraid to go to work, but they're also afraid not to go to work because they don't have PPE. They're scared to death and they could be sent home and they're trying to support their family. So we're just trying to highlight and celebrate the work, understand what they are tasked to do in a packing house or out on these toxic fields they don't want to be exposed to these pesticides, but they also have no other avenue to support their family. So they're kind of locked into the system. So we're working to really give them support. The The first farmer that we're highlighting, she's a single mom and one of her children has autism. And even though she's doing this on such limited budgets without PPE, she still finds time to support her community. So we want to go in there and get her the PPE. And she was just asking for diapers and sanitizer. So we want to make sure we're getting her diapers that are not harmful. <laughs> Again, you know, it's, it's holistically, we have to work to heal what we're doing. And with COVID-19 and the sanitation, that's a whole nother issue is these different chemicals and the fear mongering that the chemical industry is using now, right? From a liability standpoint, that these school districts have to sterilize and sanitize everything when there are non-toxic ways to do it, there's electrostatic technology that can take care of it. But again, it's just, it's everything. It's chemical whack-a-mole, it's environmental injustice. And it's just, we just need people to not expect other parents and friends to take action. We need everyone at this point to do something. You know, one thing a day would have a beautiful impact. Well, tell us, how can we take action? What can the listener do right now? Do they just go to your website? You know, I want to ban glyphosate in my neighborhood. Where do I go? Stephanie, do you want to share that from your point? So connecting on nontoxicneighborhoods.org is a great way to start to see if your city or town already has something in place. The way that we did it is really just reaching out to the lawmakers the assembly members and council members and, and getting in front of them. We met with the New York City Parks Department, which is willing to give us a pilot park in order to introduce some alternatives to glyphosate. And really that's it. I mean, we're, we're still, we're in a holding process here, but hopefully we'll see some good stuff coming out um, in spring 2021. I love that. So again, it's, it's go to nontoxicneighborhoods.org. Yes. 
we will help provide all of the solutions just to make it as simple as possible. And it's, you know, from the pet owner to the mom, to city staff, to a city attorney, we give you policy examples, organic alternatives, requests for bids. We work with contractors. Working with the New York City Parks Department has been great. I mean, it was lovely going with you guys to the meeting to meet with them. And thankfully, they have staff in place that understands that their staff are the front lines. You know, at least in New York City, you guys have a dormant season. Some areas don't have that luxury. So the exposure to these pesticides is year round. Right. So just sharing with them the truth behind, you know, the negative health impacts and then just getting them the solutions, like getting them tech donations. So for the city of Philadelphia, we are able to get foam stream donated. We don't get paid for doing that. So we ask these people to go and donate your technology, like proof of concept. That's all they need. That's as simple as it is. That's for, great. One of the things that I really, my takeaway was when we met with the parks department was they too want it banned. They don't want to use it. They don't want to have to wear hazmat suits spraying. No one wants it. They want another option. And then you mentioned money that you don't pay for that. Work on donations. Can people donate? Yes. We are a nonprofit. So our relationship, we've had a, a partnership with Stonyfield now for three years, and they have been great because they really helped us get different parks online all throughout the country from Florida, Texas, Philly, New York. So then that way, other city and county staff can visit these sites and see that weed again doesn't happen. And they see the benefits of getting off this pesticide hamster wheel of of harm that really is dated and not delivering all of these things that the industry keeps pushing. I mean, I'm going to say for those living on any coastal cities, how important this is. And it really is simple. If you go to the website, nontoxicneighborhoods.org, they make it so easy for you to how to set it up. I mean, it really walk you through it. And then I'm pretty sure that you could even email Kim and she would answer questions for you. But you have to understand on the coastal side, you're spraying this, it's also going into your water and it causes a multitude of problems, some short-term, some long-term that we really have to fix. So thank you both. We've come to the end and I always ask my guests that what their why is. So I'm going to ask you both to think about that and tell me like what, you know, I know this is a marathon. This isn't a sprint. There's a lot of hard work. Kim, I know I've been involved and I know how much hard work it is for, for Stephanie, for myself. I'd love for you both to share, you know, like really what keeps you going in the morning? I think it's, it's really important. You know, we do it for our children, for our neighbor's children, for our children's children. And we do it for everyone's health or our pets. We don't realize, but when we take the dog for a walk and, you know, you drag this back into your home and it sits into your carpets. And as you mentioned, you know, the half-life of some of these products, I mean, it it can be with you for a lifetime in some cases. So um, I really think it's, it's important to get this done for our future. Exactly. And, and I think the why is just when I found out that the entire time I'm trying to keep our boys happy and healthy, I didn't find out until Mike was in third grade that the entire time he's ever gone to his baseball practices and played in games that I was unknowingly exposing him to glyphosate and 240. So I still feel like I failed as a parent for that. And I wanted to work to make sure that no other parent would be in that situation. 
And one third of all children being born right now, and we'll share this research with you, they are being born pre-populated with glyphosate. And this is, this is not okay. Like, we would much rather be doing other things than fighting for this. But again, until our regulatory system does something, we have to do this because we want our children to be able to have children one day. You know, we want them to thrive. We don't want to worry about getting a phone call that your child is sick. And just knowing that the little girl, Lily, is still walking around with at the 95th percentile of glyphosate in her system and she's off the charts and speed zone it's heartbreaking. And as parents and moms and as a community, we just have to follow through. And that's why Christine and Stephanie have been so successful in their work with New York City as well as at the state level is because they are just sharing why this is important to them and what the solutions are. It's really as simple as an email and a phone call. I can attest to that and persistence. Well, Kim, Stephanie, thank you both for being the change and thank you for being on today. Thank you, Christine. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and are inspired. We grow with supporters and listeners like you. So please share this podcast with your community and follow us on Instagram at bethechange.nyc. And to learn more about our guests and what you can do to be the change, go to our website at www.bethechange.nyc. That's bethechange.nyc. Thank you and be well.